It's been good to worship God so far today, and just really looking forward to opening up His Word and taking a look at some things. Um, appreciate the songs, William. Um, I think there are more verses for "Abide with Me" than I realized. I think I think you could have a whole nother like I don't know, I, I, like you could have "Abide with Me" part one and then part two, the first part verses I'm familiar with, part two verses I've never heard of before. But that was, that was really helpful and impactful, um, and just really appreciate all the guys that that help lead us. But um, it's not just about the people that stand up here and lead. It's about all of us participating together and just really thankful to have this group to worship with. Um, You might look around and notice that there's a lot of extra people here. And uh, we're really glad to have the people that are visiting. But if you're a member here and you look around and see some people that aren't here, that's a good cue to, like, reach out and just see how they're doing, see how they're feeling. Um, Still a lot of cold and stuff going around. Um, even though it doesn't feel cold outside, still a lot of sickness going around. So just maybe reach out if you don't see someone here. So with this being the first Sunday of the new year, I mean, today is New Year's Day, uh, creates a pretty cool opportunity to talk about some things. Um, everyone is either thinking about how they're not the type that has a New Year's resolution because they just don't do that, but they at least acknowledge it's a thing, or you're the type of person that you're like, oh, I do a New Year's resolution every year, and I have multiple. Whatever you are, like, you understand this is a time of like resetting, of refresh, and maybe refocus, um, that we should do that. I should do that on like a, a slide or something. That'd be really good to have the re's up there like that. But I didn't think to do that. Um, but because of that, like our group, this is an opportunity for us to think about some things. So with that, I, I want to just bring up a couple things, uh, just as reminders and maybe some admonitions, if you will. First is just we have a congregational meeting January 15th. Um, just it's at the Edwards house. Uh, so uh, let us know if you're coming. Uh, the purpose of our congregational meeting is not just to be another gathering where we hang out, although we love doing that together. The actual purpose is really to talk about like family business. And when I say business, I don't just mean like money and things like that. Um, but it's just talk about what are the needs of our group? Um, what are the things that we're seeing, things we're not seeing? And it's an opportunity for us to talk together openly about our group and where we stand. So uh, just plan for that if you are a member. But also, uh, another thing just to think about with uh, this new year and everything like that, uh, there's a couple questions that I want to put up here, and this is going to lead into some other things that we're going to be doing as a group. So here's just a couple questions to think about. Um, how can you grow spiritually? I mean, that should be something that you think about no matter when it is, but especially uh, with today. I, I would imagine that you're not just thinking about fitness goals, but you're thinking about spiritual goals. So how can we grow spiritually? How can you grow spiritually? And then the, the second follow-up to that is really important is, like, what specific steps can help you be more like Christ? Like, that's what it means to grow spiritually. So what specific steps uh, can you take, can you plan for? Um, so along with that, there's some things that we could use help with, like uh, serving opportunities. Uh, there are some sign-up sheets that have gone out and will be going out uh, when it comes to picking people up and giving rides, when it comes to preparing communion, helping with the high school class, the kids' class, the baby class, things like that. Um, so if you're able to, then this is a good opportunity to help with that. And if you're thinking, how can I grow or how can I be more involved? You can look outside of this church and be involved. That's a great thing. But there are needs that we have here. And so maybe just consider signing up and, and helping and volunteering for some of those things. Another thing when it comes to growing spiritually might be that you realize that you could, you could grow in your spiritual maturity, like maybe in, in your knowledge and understanding. And in growing in knowledge and understanding, you're going to grow closer to the Lord. Well, along with that, we do have something we're trying this year, which is a Bible reading plan. So um, that's pretty close to what the journals look like. 
Uh, they're nothing fancy, nothing too special. But what we're going to be doing is a, a Bible reading plan that goes Monday through Friday every week. And the Bible readings aren't any more than, I think, 25 verses. Um, and that might be the longest that it is. Some days it's, what, four verses. So it's nothing to be intimidating. It's nothing to be uh, required. This is just an opportunity for us as a group to grow together as we just dig into God's Word, specifically the Gospels. We're going to be looking at the life of Jesus, his teaching, his example. We're going to be doing this individually, although if you want to kind of have like a small group and kind of communicate about things you're seeing, the journals are a good way of you maybe, you know, keeping in contact with other people and comparing notes. Uh, there's three questions for every week's reading, and the three questions you can't read, they're up here though. Um, but it's basically like, what are you seeing about God? What are you seeing about Jesus? And trying to make some personal application. So the journals are up here on the floor um, in between services. Come grab a journal if, if you want to participate in this. Um, we will be using some of the readings throughout the year with like articles, just like maybe like devos that we have on Sunday evenings, things like that. But this is meant for just personal spiritual growth. I did order extras. That way, if you know someone that maybe they don't go to church anywhere, but they're interested in studying God's word. This is kind of an opportunity to like give them a journal and say, hey, would you want to like just kind of go through a Bible reading plan with me uh, over, the, over the next year? And that might be a good opportunity for you to be encouraging them to be in the word, but also follow up with them and say, hey, I wrote this down. What did you get this last week in your reading? So those are some things that we have going on to help us grow spiritually. Um, and finally, uh, that doesn't mean the sermon's over, Jason, but finally, when it comes to the intro comments and things going on this new year, reminding us of things, um, we do have a weekend Bible study that's going to be going on. Williams put a lot of work into that, and that's going to be January 20th, and really just January 20th, but then we'll have another thing here January 21st. The Sunday morning like sermon was going to be kind of focused on some things we're talking about. Is that right? Oh, yeah, 21st, 22nd. Um, I was doing good up until that point. So 21st, so Saturday, January 21st, we're going to be at the library is the plan. Um, but just look for details that will come out about that. That is intended for our whole group, but really it's more of an outreach effort. So um, don't worry if you can't make it. If you can't make it, it's a good opportunity to get together and talk about spiritual goals and how we can achieve those. But this is really an effort to try to see who is in our community and that, that might be interested in just um, setting some good goals and achieving those goals spiritually, drawing closer to God. So we have that coming up January 21st as well. So those are some things, some reminders, some opportunities to serve, opportunities to grow together, and just grow individually as well. Since it's a new year, we have a new theme. Uh, last year's theme was Grace for More. We'll, we'll get that down and get a new image up there, a new poster up there. But this year's theme is in Ephesians, so it's still in the New Testament, just like last year's was. It's in Ephesians 2, where Rob just read. And it's actually going to be focused on something that takes us back to the Old Testament a lot over the next year. So our theme this year is that we are the temple of the Lord. Um, there was a lot of statements in the text that, that Rob read that Paul says, like, we are this. You were this, you Gentiles. And we can broaden that and say that all people, all people that, that, have, been, that have been dead in sin, which is all people, and have now been alive in Christ, which is, which is a lot of people, but, you know, not everyone, you have gone through a transformation and a change. He says, you were no longer strangers and aliens, but you're something different now. One of the things he says in Ephesians 2 is that you are growing into the temple of the Lord. So as Christians, we are the temple of the Lord. 
we are meant to be the temple of God. So what we're going to do over the next year, every month at least one sermon is going to be focused on what does that mean to be the temple of the Lord. Our Bible classes are going to be focused on that. Eventually we're going to study Leviticus and Hebrews to help us understand what does it mean to be the temple of the Lord, um, what was the temple of the Lord, and also what does that mean for us, for Paul to call us the temple of God. That's going to be what we focus on this year. Um, as, as I've been looking at this, I've noticed a lot of, uh, a lot of different things that, that I didn't really know about the temple already. And so I'm really excited about just studying this more personally. Um, and so what we're going to do today is just kind of go through the basics of what is the temple and what does Paul mean when he says we are the temple of the Lord. And then as we go throughout the year, we're going to dive a little deeper. We're going to look into what, what did the temple look like? What are all these different components? What were the things that went on in the temple? And, and how does that translate to us at all? So that's, what, that's the plan for this year. So the text that, that Rob read, um, this is, this is a, a portion of that, and this is what our theme comes from. He says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Um, the household of God is familial language. It's like we are family members kind of language. But he goes on and says, We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So now he's like transitioning. When he says household of God, he doesn't just mean a family, like brothers, sisters, mom, dad kind of family. He actually means a household is in a building as well, because Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of the household of God, in whom the whole structure, so this is a structure that he's talking about, is being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So in the Old Testament, there was this temple, right? And this is a rendering of the temple. Um, no idea what it actually looked like back then, but something pretty close to this. A lot of details about the temple, so it's pretty close, I guess. You would have a sacrifice being offered. You have this burnt offering section. You have places of washings and things like that because it really got to be a mess uh, at the temple uh, filled with a lot of blood and things like that. So had to have some, some washings and places of ceremonial washings. There was a courtyard. There was worship. There was prayers being offered. Then you get to this middle part, right? This this place where it's overlaid in gold and it seems wonderful and majestic. And that is like the holy place, right? You enter in and, well, not that you would enter in, but certain people could enter in. And then only on occasions could people go in. There was a specific time, specific people that could go in. And what they do is they go in to meet with God. Um, then the next image is not of the temple, but it's actually of the tabernacle, which predates the temple. This temple was, was built based on the instructions that God gave them, but also based on what the tabernacle was, okay? So the tabernacle was a tent. It was a portable temple. It was a way for the people to be able to be in the presence of God. It represented God's dwelling place. After Solomon made the temple, he actually, in his like dedication of the temple, he understands as he's talking to God, he says, you don't live in a house. Like a place cannot contain God, but yet you dwell here, which is an interesting concept that we'll get into at some point over the next year. But the original idea for temple comes from tabernacle. And the original place for tabernacle, um, the original idea of tabernacle really goes all the way back to the garden. Because this represents just God dwelling among the people. But what happened in the garden? Well, in Eden, God dwelt among Adam and Eve. And there was this harmony. There was this unity. Well, that got broken down because of sin. Adam and Eve sinned, and they were separated from God. From that point on, God did not continually dwell with people the same way he had, but he did dwell with people, and he was in their presence at times. 
to represent that, he gave instructions for a tabernacle because he wants to dwell among his people. So you have the places of burnt offering. You have places of washing and everything like that. Um, it's a slaughter table. There's an altar. Um, then you get into the actual like holy place. And in the holy place is where the priest, the high priest would go on a specific time to actually meet with God, if you will, to, to, like, to be the go-between between the people and God. Because even though they were, their pe- they, was, they were God's people, sin still got in the way. So the high priest goes before God on the behalf of the people. Um, in the temple, in the holiest of holy place, you have the ark. On top of the ark, you have a mercy seat. That's where God sits. Not, not physically sits, but it was meant to represent, like, here is God. Okay, so when you think of temple, think of this, all right? But when you think of temple, broaden your idea of what the temple is and go back to the, just this tabernacle, this portable temple that was around ever since, ever since God led Israel out of Egypt. So that they had this set up so they could be in the presence of God, so they could meet with God, they could make sacrifices before God, be made right with God. That's what the temple represents, okay? That's what the tabernacle is. So what is the temple then? Well, I just said a lot of things that the temple is, but I want to kind of just give a list and then we can uh, move on to then turn the attention to Ephesians and think about what we are as the temple. So there's a lot of other places that could be considered the temple, but there's only one true place that is the temple of the Lord. It's the place where the ark stays. According to 1 Kings 6.19, that's where the ark was meant to, meant to be. The ark was actually away from the people, but then the, the ark is brought back and is in the midst of the people. But this is like the ark's home. That's where it's meant to stay, is in the temple. There's also a place of sacrifice and offerings. We see that in Leviticus 6. There's a lot of different offerings and sacrifices that happen, and they're meant to happen here. Like before the temple, people would build altars and make sacrifices to God. It happened all the time in the Old Testament. But when it comes time for the temple, that seems to be the localized place where sacrifices are offered before God. Now, the purpose of the sacrifices are, are, are many different purposes. The main purpose would be for people to be right with God, to give their offering before God. But the, the temple is a place where God dwells and meets with man. Uh, one, one thing that I saw like a lot of people say is that it's, when, it's where heaven and earth meet. So when you think of temple, think of heaven and earth meet in this place. Okay. So it's a, it's a place where God dwells and meets with man. 1 Kings 6, 11 through 13 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you are building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. That's in connection to their obedience. But the way Solomon starts is saying, the way uh, uh, God starts when he um, is talking to Solomon, says concerning this house. Concerning this house. Like, obedience needs to be there, but he says concerning this house. And then he talks about how he's meant to dwell among the people. It's also a place of redemption and cleansing, according to Leviticus 16. This is where God gives Moses some instructions about Aaron and his sons and, and what they're supposed to do as they come before God in the holy place. It says that in verse 16 of, Luke, of uh, Leviticus 16, it says that the priest will make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel, because of their transgressions. You want to be right with God. You want to have your transgressions and, and sins washed away and forgiven. Maybe not washed away, but, you know, with the blood of, of all the goats and lambs and all that other stuff 
The temple is where you go to have that happen. But it's not just a place of sacrifice. It's a place of worship. It's a place of holiness. It's a place of prayer. In Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 56, it actually says that it's a place of prayer for all the nations, which is the same thing that Jesus says when he drives those people out of the temple. Remember, they're like, they're money changers. They're making it a den of thieves is what he says. And he says, this house is meant to be a place of prayer for all the nations, right? So this temple was built and made for God's people to approach him, to be right with him, to continue their relationship with him. But it's not just for those people. Apparently, it was also meant to represent a place where people from all over could draw near to God. Not that they were God's people, but they could know if they want to seek out the one true God, go towards the temple. It was a place of prayer for all the nations. That was always the, God's intent, which is a really interesting concept we'll get into in, in another lesson another time. But this is what the temple is. Um, in 1 Kings 8, it says, God will indeed, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house. So he's praying to God, saying, let your eyes be open night and day toward this house, toward the temple that has just been built. The place of which you have said, my name shall be there. So when people are seeking God, seeking his name, seeking to know who he is, the temple represented a place where they could go, okay? That's what the temple is. Well, we don't have a temple today, not, not like they do, right? You could go to Israel, you could go to Jerusalem, you could go to the temple grounds, but that's not the temple of God anymore. And you know how we know it's not the temple of God? It's not just because it was destroyed and then reconstructed. That doesn't make it not the temple of God, but these things aren't done at the temple. So, so it's not the temple of God anymore. Like, there's not sacrifices that are offered there the way that they were. There's, there's not the rituals. The, they're not, there's not obedience to the commandments of God according to Leviticus 16 and other places. That, that's not happening there anymore. So that's not the temple of the Lord. What Paul says is that we are the temple of the Lord. He says we are the temple of the Lord because we are in Christ. So look at this comparison here. So in Christ, this is what we have. And, th and this is how it compares to the temple. In Christ, we have propitiation for our sins. It says in Romans 3.25 that through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. The word propitiation means mercy seat. You want to go to the mercy seat to be in the presence of God. You went to the temple because that's where the ark is. Mercy seat's on the ark. God rests on the ark because he's on the mercy seat. Today, you want to go be before God, you draw near to Christ. He is our mercy seat. He is our propitiation for our sins. He's not just our propitiation where we are redeemed because of our sins, but Christ died and gave one sacrifice for all time. So we don't need all the sacrifices they had in the, in the old days with the temple, right? Christ is our sacrifice. According to 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ suffered once for, for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, which is a really interesting comparison when you think of what happened with the temple. The high priest first had to be cleansed to ever offer um, sacrifice for the people, right? Well, Christ didn't have to cleanse himself. He was the righteous, and he died for the unrighteous, for all people. So now we have access to God. We, we can have God uh, dwell among us. We can approach God through Christ's sacrifice. What we also have is we have a relationship with God continually where he dwells within us. 
in Jesus' prayer in John 17, he talks about what he has accomplished, what he's about to accomplish. He prays for the disciples that were with him, and then he prays for all believers that will believe through those apostles. And he says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the apostles' word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Right? We can dwell with God in his presence. He can dwell within us through Christ. We have a status of redemption instead of just seeking a moment of redemption. We have a status of being redeemed and clean people where we are cleansed for good works. We actually see that in Ephesians chapter 1 and in chapter 2. In Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, it says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. But then he goes on to say in chapter 2 that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we, are, we have a status of redeemed and cleansed for a purpose. And lastly, we, we have an, in Christ we have an example for all individuals far and near that God is not far away. So that place, that the, the temple, that represented a place where you could come to draw near to God, right? No matter where you're from, no matter who you are, if you want to know the one true God that's created all things, the God of Israel, you go towards the temple. What we have in Christ is we have an opportunity to draw near to him, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And actually, in Ephesians 2, it says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, that's all of us. So far and near, Gentile, Jew, doesn't matter what you are, doesn't matter what you've done. If you want to have access to God, you don't have to go to a temple. You don't have to go to a certain person and say, will you do this on my behalf? What you need to do is you need to draw near to Christ because that's what we have in Christ. Christ, it seems like, is our temple. But it's interesting that that's not what Paul says. What Paul says is that we are the temple, right? But all of this that, we, that was possible through the temple under the Mosaic law is now possible through Christ. Christ does talk about himself saying, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they thought he meant the physical temple. He meant his body. A lot of confusion and a lot of things Christ said. They eventually got it, I think. And what I think he's offering is, is an understanding of through me, you have the same things that you have through the temple. And now we become the temple of the Lord, which is a really an amazing thing that we are unworthy of. But that's part of his grace and his riches of his grace that he's lavished upon us, that he changes us. So now that we are this temple, so these are the things we have in Christ, and I just want to show this comparison. So the ark was in the temple, but the ark got captured, you know, at least once. So what happened? Like God, God's presence, they felt like wasn't with them when the ark was away. Now God, God could still be with them even with the ark being far away, but like in the minds of the people of Israel, the ark's gone, God's gone. But look what we have with Christ. He is our propitiation. He is our mercy seat. He can't be taken away, right? He, he's constant. No one can capture Christ and take him away from us, right? At the temple, there were sacrifices done. It was all the time. Every year, all, throughout the year, there's sacrifices and offerings. But Christ died once for all sin. In the temple, you had a place. In Christ, you have a relationship. With the temple, you had a place. In Christ, you have a status. 
And in the temple, there was a place. It was, you had to go there. You had to seek the temple for these things. But in Christ, now it's just continual. And we have an example. And that's a pretty amazing thing that should cause us to, to be really thankful that God tore down that temple. And he tore down the, the handwriting of requirements and, and the covenant that was established that required people to go to the temple. But that's done away with. Now what we have is a new covenant by the blood of Jesus. In fact, when he all, right before he offered himself for our sins, what does he say about his own blood? It's the new covenant, the blood of the covenant. That's what we have, and it's better. It's better because we don't have to go to a place we have constant access to God. We don't have to go through a one individual. It's, it, our one individual is Christ himself. We don't have to find some high priest that has some silly garments on and, and say, hey, will you do this? And they're going to take advantage of us and take advantage of our offering. Christ doesn't take advantage of us. We just go through him. So this is how blessed we are in Christ. It's better. It's continual. It's constant. He dwells within us. So let's look at Ephesians 2, and I want to bring four things out from Ephesians 2, and then that'll be it. These are things that are required of us if we are going to be the temple of the Lord. We should seek to be the temple of the Lord. We should seek that through Christ. But if we are in Christ now, Paul says we are the temple of the Lord. But we're going to talk about more of what that means throughout the year, but here's just four requirements or things that are a must if we are going to be the temple of God. The first thing is that to be the temple of God, our foundation must be Christ. Our foundation must be in Christ. So in Ephesians 2, you look at verse 18, it says, Through Christ we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And then he goes on in verse 20 to say that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay? We cannot claim to be a temple of God. We cannot claim to be something that God has built and constructed where God dwells within us if our foundation is anything but Christ. Now, he does say that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, right? Like, that's, that, is, that is a fundament, fundamental layer that needs to be there. But the cornerstone, the first piece, the first brick that must be laid is Christ himself. And if for you it's anything else, if it's, if it's family, if it's, um, if it's like your, your history, if it's something that you've come up with and you've realized within yourself, well, if that is your foundation and that is your cornerstone, then you cannot be the temple of the Lord. In order for us to be the temple of God, Christ must be our foundation. Being the temple of God requires a change as well. I think we see that in verse 19 of Ephesians 2. So then you were no longer strangers and aliens. So that there's a, you were this, but now you're something else. He says, but now you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then he says in verse 22, in Christ you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I mean, there's two things I just want to point out with that. The first is that, like, yes, he's talking to people that have a Gentile background, but all people, because of sin, are estranged from God. We are strangers and aliens. We are enemies of God. But through Christ and his sacrifice, now we can be friends of God. Now we can draw near to God. We have access to God through Christ. But it requires a change of us. Not just in, in like, what we're called. Like, I once was a stranger, but now I'm not. It's not just what we're called. It's a change truly within us. And it says in verse 22, that's by the Spirit. You go back to Acts chapter 2, and, and uh, Peter's pretty clear that, that not only uh, should you want to have forgiveness of sins, but you should desire that God would place a spirit within you. And that happens because of your faith and obedience in response to the cross and in response to 
Christ's sacrifice. And he actually says you need to repent and be baptized to receive those things. So once we have his spirit, now we are changed. That doesn't mean that I can't do whatever I want to do still. I can do that. But that, that doesn't really mean that he continues to dwell within me. Uh, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but I can't contaminate myself or, or recontaminate myself and say, but I'm still the temple of God. It requires a change. It requires a change in how God sees us, but that is, is changed because of what we become and, and who we change to be. What's also required is that we are built together. So being built together and growing is a key. Like it, it seems like it, it just is a must. He says in verse 20 that we are built on the foundation, but then in verse 21, he says that the whole structure is joined together, grows into a holy temple. And then he says in verse 22, we are built together, okay? There is a very real aspect to being the temple of God where it's individual, where God dwells within me, right? But in this language, in Ephesians 2, he doesn't really seem to be talking about individuals. He's talking about the, to the collective. You are the temple of the Lord. So let's, let's think about this as a collective. We must be built together and joined together with fellow Christians to actually grow into the temple of the Lord. I'm not saying that you can't be like John and be stranded on the island of Patmos and still have God dwell with you. That's, that's of course, possible. But it seems pretty clear. We need to be built together if we're going to grow into the temple of the Lord. But it does necessitate growth. Like, we, we are not stagnant. We are not, we are not people that have received something, and then now I just am who I am. But I, I received that one time. I received God one time. That's not how that works. We are growing until, into the image of of his son. We are growing into the, into the temple of the Lord. Which kind of goes into the, to the last point that I want to bring out, which is, um, we actually, I, well, I think Rob read the verse, but I, I didn't read it. It was in verse 15. He says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So this change that's supposed to happen, this change of something different is, is new. And, and what he goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 4 is that this new thing is that we are supposed to be in the likeness of God. So in Ephesians 4, verse 24, Paul says that um, we have put on the new self, which I think is, goes back to chapter 2, verse 15. So we've put on this new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If we're going to be the temple of the Lord, we must be in the likeness of God. We're going to be created in him, new and fresh. We're supposed to look like God. You know what God looked like to the people that were in the Old Testament that, that went to the temple? Something fearful. Uh, looked like a, a cloud of smoke. I mean, that, that's actually what was there at the temple was a cloud of smoke that they believe represented God as here, right? What does God look like for us? It looks like Christ. He is the express image of God. He is uh, God that became flesh. He is God. So when we want to know what it looks like to look like God, we just look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. He is Emmanuel, God with us, right? That, that is who Christ is. In fact, when you think about the concept of temple, I said we go back to tabernacle, but the language of, of John 1 when Jesus came and dwelt among men is that he tabernacled among mankind. He dwelt among mankind. So that is God dwelling with us. 
He dwelt among man. And when he left, he said it's possible for him to still dwell within us. That's what he's offered us. That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be in the likeness of God. We are meant to represent what Eden once was, a place of perfection and peace. We're not meant to try and create Eden here and like create something that is just perfect in a utopia or anything like that. We are meant to represent what Eden was. We are meant to represent this continual relationship with God where we are unashamed to be in his presence. But we know we have sin. We know that we still fall short. So what do we do? We go to our propitiation. We go to our mercy seat. We go to Christ. I have two questions, and then um, we'll have a song of encouragement. And with these two questions, I think it's because it just makes sense at the end of this uh, lesson. The first question is, have you been made new? God can't dwell in filth and unrighteousness and wickedness. He doesn't live amongst wickedness. He can cleanse us and, and draw us out of that wickedness, though. He can purge us of that unrighteousness, and we could be made something new. We could be made something new so that he can dwell within us. We could be in his image. We do that through seeking forgiveness and cleansing by the blood of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. We do that by being baptized and appealing to God through prayer and confession. We are cleansed to walk in newness of life. When you went to the temple, you went to be cleansed to just then know you're going to reset and do the same thing over and over and over again. So you didn't really become new. You were just doing the things that God said you needed to do. That doesn't mean the heart wasn't involved, but like you didn't, you weren't new. In Christ we are, or we can be. So have you been made new? Have you been changed? Are you striving to be in the likeness of God? And the second question is, would others know that God dwells in you? Like if you've been made new because you've put on Christ, God dwells in you. But would others know that? Not that we take our cue just from other people, but that should be a sign. The temple was a place people like pursued if they wanted to draw near to God. Do people pursue you when they want to draw near to God? Because if not, then you're not representing the temple well. You're not representing God well. And I don't know what, what that might be. I don't know why, but that should be a sign for us. Maybe it's a sign that God isn't dwelling in us like he's supposed to, that I'm not filled with him like I ought to be, that I'm not really living in his likeness. The more people draw close to us, the more they see our imperfections. We know that. But the more they should also see God in us. If that's not the case, where's God's temple? Where, where, where should people go to see God if they don't see him in us? You know the, the hopelessness that Israel felt when the temple was destroyed? If we aren't representing God the way we need to, that's the hopelessness that exists on this earth. Where should people go to find God? That's what we're going to talk about this year. We are meant to be that. Not because we're amazing, not because like we're perfect, but because we believe and we have faith in Jesus Christ that God does dwell in us. That's a promise that he said that he would give to us, that he would be with us continually. We need to be the temple of God because if we are in Christ, we are the temple of God, so we just need to live it out. And we need to be a place where people can come when they want to understand 
who is God and how can I draw near to him? They should see some of that in us, in our speech, and how we respond in hard situations, and how we treat them. And maybe just in how much we um, actively bring up our faith, even. Whatever it is, people need to see that in us. So do they see that in you? If not, then maybe you need to have some time of prayer, confession. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you just need to repent and you need to devote yourself to the Lord. Maybe you need to talk to some people. And if, and if we can help you with that, we want to help you with that. We want to help you draw near to God the best that we can. But you're going to do that through Christ. You're not going to do that through, through any of us. Right? You're going to do that through Christ. That's our job is to point people to Christ so they might find God through him. So if you need God, if you need to draw near to him, then we would point you to Christ. And if you're here and you realize you haven't been representing him well, that you're not in the image of God, you're, you've become tainted. There's some wickedness and filth that's been mingled with the righteousness that God wants to be in you. And if you're struggling to put that away, then we want to pray for you and pray with you. If you have any spiritual need, we want you to let us know that. Uh, you can let us know that in the break that we're going to have in a second. If you, can, if you feel convicted right now, then maybe just come find me, and then we can say a prayer for you um, before we break for our Lord's Supper service. But let's just pray real quick, and then we'll have a, a final song, and then we'll wrap up this portion of our service. Our Father, our God, Lord, you are so awesome and amazing and powerful. It's humbling to think that you would, that you would allow us to praise you, to draw near to you, and we are so unworthy for you to dwell within us. But God, we are thankful that through Christ, we can draw near to you and you can dwell within us. And we pray that we would see the areas of our life that need to be cleansed so that you might be seen through our lives even more. So that other people might, might see you in us, that they might draw near to you, so they might find you. We know you are not far from any of us. That you have made yourself so clearly accessible that we can see you through creation we can see you through the, just the wonders of what you are able to do with with your hands but god we, we see you through christ and we and we seek you through christ as well we thank you for his bloodshed we thank you for the blood of the covenant that allows us to be forgiven and god i pray that that we would constantly seek forgiveness through christ so that we might be pleasing to you we might have access to you, so we might dwell with you now, and you might dwell within us, so we can dwell with you for all eternity. Be with us as a church as we try and grow into the temple of the Lord, and we thank you for just blessing us with that opportunity. We give you all glory and honor, and we thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.